Fear not, then said the angel, let nothing you affright, this day is born a Savior, of a virgin pure and bright, to free all those who trust in him from Satan's power and might. O tidings of comfort and joy, comfort and joy, O tidings of comfort and joy. As we push on through our series, The Song of Christmas, and remember that's where we take a carol and kind of preach a series of messages through that on the, on the message of Christmas. I'm amazed at how good this carol is. Let me read those words to you again. And again, Brent and I did not get together, but I want to open the sermon today with that very same scripture. And this, this verse of this song is written, taken from Luke chapter 2, and written, as it were, to the shepherds. Fear not then, said the angel. Let nothing you affright, or be afraid of nothing. This day is born a Savior of a virgin, pure and bright. And this is so crucial. To free all those who trust in Him from Satan's power and might. O tidings of comfort and joy, comfort and joy. O tidings of comfort and joy. You know, there's a lot of things about the Christmas story that really amaze me. And even though we use the same scriptures and tell the same story each year, it's like it's fresh. I think that's why in so many families it's just a tradition that we read the Christmas story because it seems to never grow old. Again, I'm amazed today as I think about Mary. Mary was a very common peasant girl. And you have all the women, God chose her. A common peasant girl. And then God, for an earthly father of Jesus, to be that surrogate father of Jesus, God chooses a common laborer. Not a professor, not a banker, not a prince. A common day laborer who built furniture. A common man. And then when it came time to break the news, when it came time to tell someone that Jesus Christ was born, he chooses the shepherds. And as Brother Brent read, it's found in Luke chapter 2, verse number 8. It says, in the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields, keeping watch at, at night over their flock. Now, about two weeks ago, I taught a message on a Wednesday night entitled, Good News for Bad Dudes. And, and of course, you may know this part of the story. I don't know. But shepherds were just bad dudes. They were looked down upon by most society. They were excluded from the temple, from temple worship. Um, they were the, considered the bottom of the pond, if you will, in social standings. Not as bad as the tax collectors. But about right there. You might remember, I shared that night, you might remember a song that the Cher, uh, uh, C-H-E-R, sang in 1971. And she sang a song entitled, Gypsies 
tramps, and thieves. And that really describes the shepherds. I shared that night also that when we went to Bulgaria, in fact, wherever we go, if you watch the news, if you watch the particularly PBS, you'll hear a term called the Roma people. And the Roma people are the gypsy people. And whether it's Bulgaria or Europe or Germany or Africa, you hear the same thing. Gypsies, tramps, and thieves. They can't be trusted. They're lazy. They don't work. Guard your pockets. And these were the kind of guys that the shepherds were, at least, at least, were perceived by society. If you're into Christmas movies, you right, remember from 1971, Rudolph and the Island of Misfit Toys. And that was an island where all the broken and unwanted toys went to live. And that, too, describes our shepherd friends. They were broken and largely unwanted, just like us. Because, see, the Bible says that every person has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, don't run past that. If you're a regular church person, don't run past that. We're all broken. We are so desperate in need of a Savior, just like the shepherds were. And instead of going to the king or going to the palace or going somewhere else, God chooses this peasant girl, this common laborer, and then goes to this group of misfit, broken men and shares with them the good news about Jesus. Does that not strike you as amazing? Isn't it amazing how God chose everyday people for the Christmas story? just like he chooses everyday people today to tell his story. Pretty amazing. Well, anyway, so in Luke chapter 2, in the same region, shepherds were staying out in their fields, keeping watch at night over their flock. And then the Bible says in verse 9, an angel appears. An angel appears. An angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And boy, used the same word, Brent, and they were terrified. They were like way afraid. Now keep in mind, in their, in their sphere of influence, in their comfort zone, angels didn't show up. It may be in your world they do. But in their world it didn't happen. I think I can safely say today that they never saw the glory of the Lord. But when it shows up, they rise at something that they never experienced before and it terrified them. Don't run past that word. They weren't like, oh. They were like, ah! <coughs> they were sore afraid, King James. They were terrified. And I think it's because, again, they probably had never seen the glory of the Lord, but when they saw this, they know, wow, this is something bigger than us. This is, must be something really like God. That scared them. And the fact that who they were scared them. Because I think the shepherds understood they didn't exactly walk with God real close. You know, if you're feeling pretty spiritual today, you might go, oh, me and God, we're best friends. But that wasn't the case with them. In fact, at this point in the story, really through the God story of the Old Testament and this part of the New Testament, the truth be known, God was not very approachable. He scared most people. So there they were, and they're terrified. They're afraid. And the angel says to them, in verse 10, the angel said to them, 
don't be afraid. I mean, I'm sure that did a lot to comfort them. Don't be afraid. Look, I proclaim to you good news. You know, have you ever seen somebody so downtrodden that they look, you looked at them and said, looks to me like you could use some good news. That's these guys. As the angel looked at them, they were terrified and afraid. Don't be afraid. I think you could use some good news, and it's good news of great joy. And watch this. That will be for all people. In other words, what I'm about to, this is so good. What I'm about to tell you right now, it's for people like you. It's for people who are broken and unwanted. It's people who are broken spiritually and not even wanted by society. It's for people like you. But when he said, when he said that will be for all people, he probably intended, no, 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 no. He did intend. To say, it's people like them. Who's the them? Oh, the them would be the people in the village that went to church or to the temple or to the synagogue every week. Who, who, who recited their prayers, who did all those things. See, they needed a savior too. Broken people like shepherds need a savior. And religious, morally good people need a savior. Because we are all broke. In fact, can I just tell you something? If you're here and somewhere in your past, there's a day in history when you asked Jesus Christ to forgive your sins, to save you, and you became born again, that day you need a Savior. But what you forget is you need a Savior every day. God did not, Jesus did not go out of the Savior business when you became a Christian. He just got started. He continues the process of saving you. He holds you. He keeps you. He sanctifies you. He, he, through the Holy Spirit, helps you become more and more like Him. And ultimately, by the way, will carry you to a place called heaven. How about that? So he says, don't be afraid. I've got good news, and it's of great joy. And it's not just for people like you. It's for all people. And here's the news. Today. In the city of David, Bethlehem, seven miles from where they were, seven miles from where they were, today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you. I love that. Was born for you, not to you, for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. And this, this meant, again, even to shepherds, they still got the God stuff. They, they knew a little bit about the God stuff, even though they weren't allowed in the temple. They got the God stuff. And they said, this Savior is, is you know, born for you as the Messiah. And, and they said, oh, yeah, Messiah. I remember when I went to Sunday school as a kid, I learned about the Messiah, that Messiah was coming, that the Deliverer was coming. And they're saying, he's born today. You know, there's a cool scripture over in Luke chapter 4, and actually, Jesus is quoting it from Isaiah 61, which was written several hundred years before he was even born. And in the Luke scripture, the Bible says Jesus went home to Nazareth, okay, which is kind of cool because Nazareth was kind of like Dorsville used to be. Remember we talked about Dorsville being the wrong side of the tracks here in Harrisburg, that Dorsville people were commonly looked down upon by other people in the Harrisburg area? Well, Nazareth was kind of like that. It was kind of like the other side of the tracks. So Jesus goes home, and surprise of surprises, he goes to church because that was his custom to do. <laughs> And they hand him the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. And he 
turns the scroll. I was going to say flip the pages, but it was a long scroll. He turned and turned until it came to chapter 61. And then, as was the custom, he stood up and he read. And here's what he read, if I can find it. He said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me, he has appointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Now, the shepherds could really identify with that. They were poor physically, and they were poor spiritually. And this Messiah says, I've been anointed to proclaim good news to the poor. He said, I've been sent to proclaim liberty to the captives. And, and again, the people in the oppression of the Roman Empire could truly understand that. And, and he said, I've come to recover of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And all these in those days were terms they could really identify with. And honestly, if we look, we can too. Because you see, there are people here today who are captive of something. There's people here today who are blind to something. And there's people here today who are oppressed by something. And the big news, the big statement comes in verse number 19. Here's what he says. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's the kind of Savior he was. Do you know what the year of the Lord's favor was? Well, God had this really cool deal. Every 50 years. It was called the year of Jubilee. Every 50 years. Are you ready? You're going to like this. All Debts are forgiven. If you were in bondage to a man as a servant, you were set free. If you owed a man a debt, it was forgiven. The year of Jubilee was a year of liberty. And that's what Jesus Christ came to do. He came to set men free. To set men free. He did not come to put us in bondage to a bunch of rules. He did not come to establish a new religion. He came to establish a relationship with his father by his spilt blood. And says whoever will believe in me can be set free from the bondage of sin. That's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus. Isn't that amazing? I mean don't run past this. Creator God has this marvelous plan to invite us into relationship with him. So when he said that, that unto you a Savior is born, this Messiah, Christ the Lord, it meant so much, especially because who the shepherds were. You know, there's a, there's a picture. Nancy, if you can get that picture up for me. I use this. I know I've used it three or four times um, in the past. And... I love it because this is in my house, and it's our nativity set. And uh, we got this nativity set when, when Jennifer and Rebecca were about two or three years old. And I think Rebecca's like 45 now. Uh, is that right? Oh, you're not 45? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I always get that wrong. <laughs> but anyway, so when they were just a little, little tights, we got this nativity set. You can see, if you'll notice, um, Jesus is missing his nose. 
We're not sure at what point he lost his nose, but he's got a white glove for a nose. And Mary's got something wrong with her hair there. And it uh, looks like the shepherd guy over there is kind of missing something too. We had to replace the angel. They broke the wings off so many times. The hot glue gun would no longer work. So we had to replace the angel. Uh, he got fired. Um, but that's not all why it's my favorite thing. And it really is. It's one of my favorite Bibles, Christmas stories. And it's one of the favorite things in my house. It's the, it's the young lady here that's standing on the right side right there in the red dress. And uh, that is Scarlett O'Hare. Yeah, it is. No, it really is. I'm not sure where that came, when it came into our house, but someone, because I love the South and from the South and like Gone with the Wind, those kind of things, someone gave us a Christmas ornament that is Scarlett O'Hare, Gone with the Wind. And so um, she was hanging on our Christmas tree, and when Faith was about four years old maybe, somewhere in there, so it's been about 13, 14 years ago, um, she ended up at the nativity set. Um, Faith took it off the tree, she was playing dolls, you know, and walked over and started playing with Scarlett O'Hare in the manger scene. And Scarlett O'Hare has been in the nativity set ever since. And I'm going to tell you something, if you don't have a Scarlett O'Hare in your nativity set, you need to get one. Because that is what it's all about. That's what it's all about. See, just like God invited the shepherds to the first big sermon about Jesus because they were broken and unwanted. Think about Gone with the Wind. Scarlet had a very bad reputation. If everybody was broken, it was Scarlet O'Hare. And yet she is invited, she's invited to come and worship the king. Are you getting it? That is so powerful. Unto you, a Savior was born, a Messiah, Christ the Lord. And he watched, he says in verse 12, and this is going to be a sign for you because it's not going to look like you think. It's not going to look like you think. Because in their mind, I'm sure they got the idea of mighty warrior. No, 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 listen. You're going to find a babe wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. Not what they're expecting. You, you need to know what to look for because it's not what you're expecting. And I promise you here, if you're looking for Jesus, it may not look like you think. Because again, we have this incredibly bad habit of misrepresenting God and who Jesus is. We want to make Jesus look awfully religious. And if you just read the Gospels, he wasn't very religious. In fact, he came down on the religious cloud, crowd a whole lot. Because Jesus was all about relationships and not a set religion. Pretty powerful stuff. So the shepherds get the good news that a Savior's been born, Christ the Lord, and he's going to look like a baby. And by the way, you know what I thought about? This just popped in my brain this morning. I said, do you understand that this good news that unto you today is born a Savior, Christ the Lord, meant that there would be at least at least 20 years before he could do anything, the waiting wasn't over. It just got started good. When he was going to become what he was going to become, he had at least to be a man. And it turned out to be 30 years after his birth before he started doing his ministry. The waiting just got started good. Sometimes you've got to wait a long time on God, but you keep waiting because he's always faithful. He's always 
So you got to ask this question, at least I would. So why is Scarlett invited to the nativity set? Why, not only is she, why is she not only invited, she's welcome there. Why did God set it up like he did so that the first people to hear this good news was a bunch of broken guys, totally excluded from society and from the temple, from religion? Why did he choose them? In fact, why, before the first molecule was created, did God set this plan in motion that people like you and I could come in a relationship with him? And the answer is, and don't run past this either, love. Love. That's why. See, God loves us. Now, don't, I know, on today we may have a lot of, like regular church people, but don't, don't miss this. God loves us perfectly. God loves us perfectly. Now, now, that doesn't mean he loves us when we're perfect. He loves us perfectly because see, nobody's perfect. I don't want to break your bubble on Christmas Eve, but you're not. And God doesn't love us because we're perfect. He loves us rather perfectly. And what that means is he loves us in spite of our performance. He loves me when I do a pretty good job of, of acting right, and he loves me when I don't. Because I've come to relationship with him through Jesus Christ. I love, I love 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. There is no fear in love. There's no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear. Now, someone needs to hear this today. Because you are a believer in Jesus Christ, and yet you walk in fear. You're one of those folks through some preacher's teaching or through some misinterpretation of the Word of God that you think God's up there with a two-by-four and cannot wait to bop you beside the head. Go ahead, son. Wes, mess up. I've been waiting to hurt you. And where did you get that theology? Because God loves us perfectly. Love that. Grasp hold of that. Cherish that. Hold it close to your chest. Perfect love casts out fear. In other words, when we understand that God's love for me is not dependent on my ability to perform, that he loves me perfectly regardless of my, my performance or my, my perfection, all of a sudden there's freedom in that. I'm still learning it. I can tell you the times, I've told you this before, I can tell you the times I woke up and said, God, I know that you're, I know you hardly even like me the way I am. I just prayed those prayers. And one day I started better understanding this thing called grace. And I started understanding that God loved me regardless. You need to know that. Your husband won't tell you or your wife won't tell you. Your parents won't tell you. You've gone through life figuring out that you're so broken and unwanted that no one could ever really care for you. And I need to tell you that God does. God does. That's the message of Christmas. Perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment. And in that way you see God sometimes, if you're the kind of person who doesn't understand that God loves you perfectly, that you walk around in fear, and it's a, it's a relationship of punishment. God never intended that. He intended us to see him as Father. 
Abba Father, dearest Father, one who loves us unconditionally. And it goes on and says, so the one who fears is not complete love. In other words, the one in fear, if you're in a relationship with God and you live in constant fear. Now, I'm not talking about the kind of fear is respect. I'm talking about fear that God's going to hurt you. Then you don't understand his love for you. He loves you. Well, Dwayne, how much does he love me? Well, I'm glad you asked because God loves you sacrificially. You know, John, the Apostle John, paints this beautiful picture with the brushstrokes of words and paints this picture of God's sacrificial love for us. I, I'm going to read from 1 John chapter 4, verse number 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest. In other words, if you want to look at a picture of how God loves us, this is it. John says, I'm going to paint a picture for you, and this is what love looks like. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. That, here it is, God sent his only son unto the world. That's what love looks like. Love looks like that God loved us so much that he sent his only begotten son who preexisted in heaven before the physical birth as the son of God. And he straps on a human body, was born in a town called Bethlehem. And he came to die. In fact, John says it this way. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And see, our living involved his dying. Our living, in other words, for us to truly live, he had to truly die. That's what this is all about. That's what this is all about. I think it's so appropriate, we've got the Christmas tree, the symbol of his birth, and we've got the cross, the symbol of his death, on the same stage. Because he was born with full intent of dying. And he did it for us. He came, he sent his son, that we might live. He goes on and says this. In this is love. Not that we love God. Again, I don't want to bust your bubble on Christmas Eve. That wouldn't be a very kind thing. But this all didn't happen. This masterful plan was not put in motion because we love God first. No, he loved us. That's what it says. And this, and this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. How about that? How about that? It was not our initiative. It wasn't our ability this is so good. It was not our ability to reach up to God. It was God reaching down to us. That is so powerful. That is so powerful. So it was not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son. Now watch. To be the propitiation for our sins. The appeasement for our sins. Romans chapter 6, verse 23, again, a very common verse. There's nothing uncommon, or very, yeah, not, nothing uncommon in scriptures I'm using. But Romans 6, 23 says, the wages, the payment for sin is death. We deserved, here's what we deserved. You know, some people say, life isn't fair, God isn't fair. Okay, be glad he's not, because if it was fair, you deserve to be eternally separated from God in a place called hell. 
You deserve to be the object of God's wrath, not for one millisecond, but for all eternity. We deserve the lake of fire that burns forever and ever, where a person goes and is never burned up. That's what we deserve because of our sin. The payment for sin is death. But, I love the buts in the Bible. But the gift of God, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Remember? His dying, the payment for sin is death. His dying meant our living. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. In other words, Angie, it's a gift. We didn't have to pay for it. We can't pay for it. Now, don't miss this. It's free and it's yours. And most of us, a lot of us in this room today, have already experienced that. Relish that again. Get all excited, get wowed again by the fact that, that Jesus Christ hung on a Roman cross, not only enduring the physical agony of this, but the full wrath of God was poured out on him. Many of you have seen the recent new Star Wars film, uh, The Last Jedi. And in that film, um, Luke Skywalker, an image of Luke Skywalker, as it turns out, but Luke Skywalker, I hope I'm not doing any kind of, kind of spoiler alerts, but you know, Luke Skywalker is out there walking toward the bad guy, and the bad guy's got all these battleships and all this stuff going on, and in rage, I can just see, boy, this might be a good illustration for say, in all his rage, he says, turn every gun on him, kill him! And I mean, just from everywhere, from every angle, all these weapons start firing on the area of Luke Skywalker. And that's the wrath of God poured out on Jesus Christ. Amazing. Amazing. To be the propitiation, the appeasement, the atonement for our sin. See, see, it was ours. He had none of his own. It was ours. And so, so he was sent and he died because the wages of sin was death. And he paid the price for your Sin and my sin. How powerful is that? That he might be the perpetuation of our sins. And beloved, and then he tells us this. And by the way, you need to hear this too on Christmas Eve. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Once we experience that kind of love, it's got to radically change us so much that we've got to love one another. Billy Graham said, God proved his love on the cross. When Christ hung and bled and died, it was God saying to the world, I love you. Well said, Billy. Well said. That cross forever says, I love you. He loved us sacrificially. But he didn't stop there. He loved us lavishly. Lavishly. 1 John 3 Verse 1 says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed, has lavished upon us, that we should be called children, sons of God. Just, would you just, I don't know what you need to do to get the middle picture in your mind. You know me, food comes to mind. 
You know, Judy makes this incredible homemade eggnog. Now, I know the thought of eggnog is kind of like fruitcake. Okay, you think, yeah, I don't like that. Well, Pood's got a recipe. It involves, you know, like heavy whipping cream and milk and, and sugar and egg, uh, egg beaters, so you don't have to cook it. And it tastes like a supercharged, melted vanilla milkshake. Now, here's what I've learned, and I, I'm revealing this secret for the first time to Judy, so I hope you're not disappointed to find out that I do this. But what I found out is that heavy whipping cream floats to the top. And if no one's looking, you can get a spoon, and you get the pitcher, and you pour it, and the heavier liquid comes under the whipping cream. But if you get a spoon, you can scoop the heavy whipping cream into your glass. And if no one's watching, as much as you want. I am very lavish with the heavy whipping cream. God lavished. He took the spoon of his amazing love and scooped out the whipping, heavy whipping cream over and over. <laughs> he don't love me a little bit. He loves me a lot. He lavished his love on me. And he lavished his love on you. As you celebrate this Christmas, let that be in your heart. Let it be in your soul. That he didn't love you a little bit. He loves you a lot. Over in one more scripture, Romans chapter 5, verse 8 and 9. But God demonstrates his own love toward us. And that while we were still sinners, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He died for us. The old song says, what wondrous love is this? Oh, my soul. Oh, my soul. What wondrous love. Love is this. And God chose to share that story first and foremost with a group of broken and unwanted shepherds. And you know what they did? They recognized how good that truth was. Once they saw the Messiah, saw Jesus, just as the angels said, they went and told people, and they marveled. They marveled. Today, as your pastor, could I encourage you to live in such a way, to speak in such a way, that you tell the good news of Christ and draw people to Bethlehem to see Christ, the Messiah. Draw them to Calvary's tree and let them see Christ the Messiah. And Brother Brent, as you said, take them to heaven and let them see a king who's coming back. A king who's coming back. What wondrous love is this, oh my soul. And you know that verse in the, in the song talked about fear not, and then it said and to set us free from Satan's power and might. You know, Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 32, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And I want to tell you today, if you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, you're broken and you're unwanted and you know it.
I want to tell you the truth will set you free. The truth is, the Bible says, every person has sinned and comes short of the glory of God. There are no exceptions. The truth is, the Bible says that the payment for sin is death. We deserve to be eternally separated from God. But the truth is, but God loved us so much, he gave us the gift of his son, that whosoever believes could have forgiveness of sins. The truth is, if you're willing today to turn from your sin, that's called repentance, turn from your sins and believe in Jesus Christ and choose to follow him, you can not only come into relationship with God now, but you'll have a relationship with God for all eternity. And when the last heartbeat comes, whenever that is, you'll be ushered into the very presence of Jesus Christ in a place called heaven. But it's an individual decision. It's one you have to make. God is not interested in how religious you are. God is not interested in how many habits you started or stopped. He's very much interested in what you do with your son, his son, Jesus Christ. Are you willing to believe and trust in him? If you're here today, you've done that. You are here today, and I know a lot of us have. Could I just encourage you today, fresh and anew, to be overwhelmed and wowed by this wonderful, sacrificial, lavish love that God has for you. May we be as enamored with God as he is enamored with us. Because he is. He is. Would you bow your heads right there, please? If you're here today and you've never, you've maybe not heard this story. Maybe you thought heaven was about religion and about being good enough to go. Maybe today's the first time you heard that a man died for you. A man who was the God-man, perfect in all his ways. And he paid the price for your sin. Some of you will get gifts this Christmas. You're going to say, this is too good to be true. And this may sound too good to be true, but I'm telling you, it's true. And my friend Brent will be standing down front today. And he would love to share with you about how you can know Jesus Christ personally. We could try to answer your questions today so you can come in a relationship with the creator God of the universe. If you're here today and you know you're a believer, there's come a time in your life when you trusted Jesus, you turned from your sins and chose to follow him. But maybe, just maybe, the love relationship has not been as strong. And maybe today, just hearing it again and anew, has just re-enamored you with Christ. Tell him that. Just say, God, I want you to know something. Today, I'm falling in love with you all over again. Jesus, I'm falling in love with you all over again. Holy Spirit, I'm falling in love with you all over again. I thank you. I thank you for loving me. And if you're here today, and what a great day to join our fellowship that God spoke to you about making this your church home. Brother Brent can answer questions about that. We were privileged to baptize five folks last week. If, if you've trusted Christ and you've never followed in believer's baptism in obedience to him, we can help you with that. We are here this morning to help you deal with the decisions that God's calling you to. Maybe you just need someone to pray with you. And guess what? We've got some folks who can pray with you today. This is your time of decision with God. Father, thank you very much for allowing me the privilege of sharing today these great truths. Thank you, God, for speaking for those of us who know Jesus. Thank you for this wonderful love, this incredible forgiveness that you offer us. And for my friend who might be here listening on the radio or perhaps in this room, who have never, who's never come to the point of recognizing that they are sinners separated from you, and today they do. 
Would you guide them, bring them, pull them into relationship, Father, with yourself through your Son, Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, do what only you can do today as you speak to hearts. In Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. Amen and amen. We're going to stand to our feet. We're going to sing. Again, Brent will be waiting down front. Anything we can do.